0: A woman took her 16-year-old daughter to the doctor's office. And uh, the doctor says, okay, Mrs. Jones, what seems to be the problem with your 16-year-old? Mother says, well, my daughter, she keeps getting these cravings in the mornings, and she's sick a lot in the mornings. And So the doctor gave the young lady a good examination and turns to the mother and says, "Um, well, I don't know how to tell you this, but your daughter is pregnant. In fact, from what I can tell, about four months. Mother goes, pregnant? Pregnant? She can't be pregnant. She's never been a left alone with a man, ever. have you, sweetie? The 16-year-old says, no, mother, I, I've not been with a man. In fact, I've not even kissed a boy. The doctor walked over uh, to the side of the office next to the window, and the mother and daughter were talking and having a conversation, and he's looking out at the, at the window for what seems like forever. It's probably just a few seconds, but... Finally, the mother said, Doctor, what are you looking at? He said, Well, the last time I heard of a story like that, there was a special star in the sky and three old wise men came over the hill. And there's no way I'm going to miss it this time. (laughs) Nativities, they're everywhere, they're beautiful. But I wonder if we really understand. What kind of Jesus are you looking for? Sing hallelujah. Remember when Jesus was a man and he was near the end of his earthly time and he was getting ready to be crucified on the cross. They waved palm branches and, and, and cried and sang hallelujah. Hallelujah. The people were so excited. Finally, a ruler is coming who's going to take over the empire, who's going to lead all of this nation. He's going to to be the king we've always wanted. But it wasn't a few days later, they were yelling, crucify him. This baby. So I asked this Christmas season, "What, what Jesus are you looking for? Jesus came in a nasty, smelly, ugly manger barn. Truth be told, it was probably more like just a cave. Had family who's been over to overseas to the that area, and what they think is the manger of Christ was just a a stable, was basically a cave, and in it they found a, a baby. And a lot of people have been confused over the years about what this baby means. You know, the nativity scenes we, we decorate our yards with and, and, some, and they're just not quite accurate because they, they don't smell quite right. See, w- we kind of decorate them and this one's all glittery, like my baby Jesus got glitter all over. And now I got it all over me. Christmas, it doesn't smell right. We don't fully understand and appreciate the unsanitary conditions of having to walk carefully around the, the, well, the manure droppings, if you will, of the animals in the stable in order to get to the child. Fresh from the pains of delivery in a feeding trough streaked with the saliva of animals, the king of all kings was born. Please take your copy of God's Word and we are going to remain in Luke. But guess what? We're going back in time, like back to the future. Holy cow, 2.1 gigawatts. We're going back into Luke. Would you stand with me in the honor of reading God's Holy Word? At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the whole Roman Empire. And this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her first child, a son. And she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Let's pray. God, in the few moments that we have here, you know, beginning of a week, the beginning of a a really Christmas season, may we just use our imaginations, take ourselves back uh, to where we need to be to to think about um, what they may have experienced. And it might change our perspective of Christmas. If we catch it early, maybe we we can save Christmas what it really is. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure many of you have read author Max Lucado, and the only way that he can, he's very descriptive, he shares about an ordinary night that happened a long, long time ago, and you can find it in his book, The Applause of Heaven. And Lucado wrote this story. He said, an ordinary night with ordinary sheep and ordinary shepherds. And if it were not for a God who loves to hook an extra onto ordinary, the night would have gone unnoticed. The sheep would have been forgotten and the shepherds would have slept the night away. But God dances amidst the common and that night he did a waltz. He said the black sky exploded with brightness. Sheep had been silent, became a chorus of curiosity. One minute the shepherd was dead asleep, the next he was rubbing his eyes and staring into the face of an alien. The night was no ordinary, no more. The angel came in the night because that is when lights are best seen. And that is why they are most needed. God comes into the common for the same reason. Why was Jesus born and a nasty old cave, and a place built for animals. God could have arranged him to be born anywhere, like in a palace, or at least in a nice clean home. In fact, God could have snapped his fingers and placed him in a modern hospital full of antiseptic delivery room stuff and a full staff of the finest doctors and nurses in the universe. What an unlikely place for a king to be born. I don't think they fully understood the embarrassment Joseph must have felt to watch his wife go through pain in these conditions. Doesn't the Son of God deserve better than that? So why did God choose a cave? First of all, I believe that God selected Mary and Joseph because even as a young couple, they were spiritually and morally the kind of parents to whom he could entrust the raising of his son. Jesus was born in Bethlehem to fulfill a vow that God had made to send the world a king from the family line of David, a genealogy that Craig talked about some last week. At that time, there was an evil, paranoid, non-Jewish king sitting on the throne of Israel who had killed every person who ever threatened his kingship, his rule, his power. Certainly, Jerusalem was certainly not a safe place for Jesus to be born. So I was Jesus born in a cave in that town? It was to make sure that we would always know that He came for all of us. From the highest to the greatest to the poorest to the wealthiest, He came for everyone. Aren't you glad that Jesus came for you? Had there been anyone else on the world, nobody else but you, He would have come for you and for me. God has a heart for those that suffer in the world. We need to remember that just becoming human was an enormous sacrifice on the part of Christ. Jesus was God and always remained God. I think it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that sometimes, but God is the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, a triune God, three in one, one in three. God created us in order to build a bridge between Himself and humanity. Imagine Jesus had always lived in a perfect environment surrounded by perfect love and absolute purity in a place where there's no sin, no darkness, no crying, no frustration, no government, No sin, perfect heaven. He had always been all-powerful, and he restrained and remained all-powerful, but now he limited himself into a body of a vulnerable infant little boy lying in a dirty manger. Why would a God who loves us do that? Because he loves you. He was and always did remain the true God. But notice something. He he chose not to selflessly grasp his privileges as God. To be fully God and to be fully man, he wanted to be fully man because he wanted to experience what we experience. Sadness, laughter, all of it, all the emotions. And so he relinquished his dignity. He came out of heaven for us. He covered His glory. The only way that we would even know that He was a man is because He covered His glory. Had God kept His glory, even as Jesus, the man walking on the earth, we would have said, that certainly is God. So why didn't God just do that? Why didn't Christ just do that? Why did He cover His glory? So that you and I would look into His face and make a a choice. You see, Christianity, if anything, is built on our faith. Wouldn't it be great if God just knocked us in the head and said, this is what it looks like, and this is how I want you to move? Wouldn't it be great if God just said, look, I'm going to send some temptation your way and be, be, be ready? We live our normal lives, and we need the faith of God. And we find it only in Christ. Well, He also surrendered all of His riches. All the things in heaven. Now, I'm not talking about just money. He surrendered everything. He, as I mentioned, he restrained his power. He became fully human. Let's think about your week this week. All the things that you've done, maybe all of the smells that you've heard from others around you, whatever it is, the humanity, people pass gas. Everyone does. Can you imagine? Living around Jesus, he had to shower because he was fully man. They wanted a God who was always pristine and pure and sparkly. What they got was people like me and you. He was a carpenter, he sweat for goodness sake. I'm kind of glad Jesus took a bath occasionally, right? I'm glad that you take a bath once in a while. I'm glad Pam's glad I take a bath once in a while. Jesus. He humbled Himself, even to the point of His death. You realize, there's no Easter without Christmas. If Jesus isn't born, He doesn't get crucified. And if He doesn't get crucified, He he doesn't get buried in a borrowed tomb. And if He doesn't get buried in a borrowed tomb, then the, the ladies can't come and anoint His body And when they get there, there's there's nobody home except His clothes. Isn't that weird? I mean, the shroud that He was buried in is left there. So you're saying Jesus walking around earth naked? No. No. In His glorified body? I'm sure God took care of that, but isn't it amazing? There is no way He put His glory on hold like you and I would put a phone call on hold, right? Henry Nguyen wrote about the nativity in an article in Christianity Today. It's a magazine. And he wrote this about the nativity shadows. He said that, you know, the Christmas scene, uh, things that we look at day in and day out and don't pay attention to, uh, he's talking about his little boy and how he arranged under the altar was probably the most meaningful crib they had ever seen. Just a little small space under the the church pew, uh, you know, the... Podium where his dad spoke, and his son put this little bitty nativity out. Just three small wood carved figures that happened to be made in India. A poor woman, a poor man, and a small child between them. And and the carving is simple, not it's nearly primitive. It's like those willow tree things. My daughter hates those because they have no facial figures, right? We love them. We have a whole bunch of them. We have a whole nativity scene. We just can't find them. They're in our garage where we moved. We have no idea where they are. They have no face, no eyes, no ears. They just are like figures. All you see is the contours. The figures are smaller than human hands, nearly too small to attract attention at all. But then a beam of light shines through and projects a large shadow on the walls of the sanctuary. And Henry Newman said, that, that kind of spoke everything to me. The light thrown on the smallness of Mary, Joseph, and the child projects them as larger than the, what they really were. And while looking at that intimate scene, we already see the first outlines of the majesty and the glory that they represent. With a radiant beam of light shining into the darkness, there is little to be seen, yet everything changes because of the light. For the first time, the God, the Creator, who before had only been heard and seen, now can be touched and coddled. You ever notice how people get weird around babies? You said little baby, how you doing? See, I, I'm a poppy to my grandkids, and so when I get there, I act like a, a one of them. So I go from being 57 to 17 months, right? They go, hey, you guys, how you doing? Everybody want to go play? Let's go swing. Everybody, It's all fun, right? Even I get called on by the older parents and people in the room or something like my child and, and, and my wife would say, you need to calm down, quit acting like you're the child's age. But it is interesting how we all kind of, babies are so cute and we want to talk to them in a little baby talk kind of thing. And In fact, when kids get a little older, we'll say, don't talk that way. So Matt, it's amazing as well how fast they grow. These parents who brought Jesus into the world never imagined what it would be like as he grew. And man, did they love him? His love for them would reveal itself most dramatically when he was a grown man and he was nailed to the cross, which I just talked about. The old manger, the barn, the cave, hints to us about the love of God. The cross of Christ literally nails it. Why was Jesus born? in a cave, because God initiated the relationship with us. That is the exact opposite of what religion teaches. Religion starts with the assumption that we must initiate the relationship with God, that we need to be seeking God for recompense for our mistakes, but it is God who initiates us. Religion tells us that we must improve ourselves Until we have earned the love of God. How many times, and I think we mentioned it in men's group yesterday, how many times over the years have we heard, I will come to church when I get my life straightened out. I will come to church when I I get this habit under control. I'll come to church when I get this portion of my life figured out. What we don't understand is God loves you just the way you are. Ugly, a mess. I don't mean ugly in appearance. I'm talking about the inside of our lives. God loves you just the way you are, warts and all, the mess, the sin. But as Craig has often said to us, God loves you so much he doesn't want to leave you where you are. You're welcome in this place where it's no perfect people are allowed. We're all just a mess. As Craig says, you're a healthy mess, but you're, a, you're his mess. When I dialogued with him about coming here, he said, it's messy. I said, oh, how messy can it be? I've been here four months. It's messy. Some of you are absolute a mess. But we love you. You're our mess. And what's cool is that we want you to reach your other messes and invite them to a place that doesn't judge or makes you feel worse when you leave than when you came. This is a great place. This is a safe place. This is a place that ought to be rocking. Why? Because we believe in the Christ that was born in a cave, not in religion that sets itself on pedestals. Jesus loves us. I'm gonna tell you there's something that you, I'm sure you have heard before, but it bears repeating. God loves you, and there is nothing you can do to make him love you more. And also it's true, God loves you, and there is nothing you can do to make him love you less. I think sometimes God looks down, he looks from heaven, and he goes, angels, come over here and look. Look at this little dude named Craig running around doing all kinds of graces. Look at him. Man's insane. Last Sunday night I was in this right in the same place, but it was dark. I wanted this music stand for Sunday night. I thought I knew my way around. So as I get over here, I get up here on this stage. And the other side, Preston locked me out of his office. But the thing was in the office, so I just came over here and I looked, and now you locked it, you dog. Okay. It was unlocked, and the door kind of was about halfway. I didn't see this little step right here. I went straight down, busted my head, fell there, cracked two ribs that are still cracked, by the way. I got to stand. Why tell the story? Without the light, we're going to fall exactly without a light and my wife goes, "Well, Tim, you know that your your little cell phone has a light on it." <laughs> to which I said, "Shut up, I know." 32 years of marriage. I can afford one of those a year. I shut up once a year, once a year. That's it. We need to understand that no matter how far we fall they can't fall far enough you can you can't fall far enough so whatever you've done it doesn't matter god's bigger than that whatever you're going to do tomorrow god is bigger than that in fact the apostle john tells us what god, what love is he, he said this once he goes uh, he wrote we know now how much god loves us and we have put our trust in his love god is love and all who live in love live in god and God lives in them. That means that love is the very essence of God. It's not just that God feels love or does loving things, although He certainly does, but it is the very nature of God for love. Love does not exist apart from God. And the Apostle Paul prayed that we would be able to just begin to wrap our minds around this idea of God's love. And he wrote in Ephesians chapter 3, then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. And your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. You know, you can live forever if you simply believe in Jesus. To believe in Christ is to believe that He is God and that He died in your place and that you put your faith in Him rather than in yourself or in some religion or in anything else. As a friend of mine once says, Pastor Tommy from Pathways Church in Seymour, he said, you're going to worship something. You might as well worship God of the universe. Believing in Jesus means that you resign as your own God and you ask Jesus to take control of your life. I hope that during this holiday season and every Christmas from this one until you reach heaven, that you will always look at the nativity and remember that it took great courage for Joseph to do what he did. It took great faith of Mary to fulfill her vow. But what we would want you to do is to be reminded of the love of God. Christian author Jan Richardson wrote in her book, Night Visions, searching for the shadows of Advent. Seasons of Advent, and Advent literally means just looking forward to something coming. And we celebrate Advent at Christmas because we look forward to His returning one day. She said the season of Advent means there's something on the horizon of like which we've never seen before. What is possible is not to see it, to miss it, to turn just as it brushes past you. And you begin to grasp what it is that you missed. Like Moses on the mountain, watching God fade in the distance. So stay and sit. Linger. Tarry. Ponder. Wait. Behold. And wonder. There will be time enough for running your errands. There'll be enough time for you to wrap the last present. But I hope this Christmas, in the midst of all of it, take a few extra moments from worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow, for pushing always. For now, stay and wait. Something great is on the horizon. Not just in our lives, but in this church. Something great is on the verge of happening. God speaks to us in the claps of thunder and also in the very still, small voice in the wind. Something is coming beyond our wildest imaginations. So don't take today for granted or this year. If I had one bit of Christmas advice, I'd say this. Live every minute of your lives in the love of God. Don't waste one second. People sometimes just exist. I encourage you to live in Christ. You'll find Him if you're looking. Let's pray together. God, may we just uh, enjoy every element of the Christmas season, but may it begin in our hearts. May it begin with really understanding what Christmas is about, to understand who Jesus is. And, And Father, I pray for those Uh, maybe in this room or watch this on video or however they get this information, I pray, God, that you would bless their lives uniquely. And if they don't have a relationship with you, I pray that you would make that available to them, that there would be a cross, a a path, a a special time when uh, just a moment where they recognize that they need a God because life is too hard. And it's not just that life is too hard, but that we need a Savior. We're not God. We need a Savior. Sometimes when we don't even realize it, we need a Savior. We love you. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for, baby, Jesus being born in such an ungodly place. But that's who Jesus is, the Lord of our mess. We love you, and thank you for being that. In Christ's name, amen.